0: You're listening to the Super Talk podcast produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees,
1: shaping profit to member super.
0: Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Gary West and I'm the Senior Manager, Media and Communications with the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. Today we'll be talking about climate change. Joining me is Owen Tutt, Assistant Manager and Climate Change Co Lead in the EOS stewardship team and investment manager, Federated Hermes. Among the topics you'll be hearing about today are net zero, the energy transition, policy and regulation, the of companies, and much more. Owen, thanks for joining me today. So what makes achieving net zero so difficult?
1: Hello Gary well, thank you very much for having me first of all. and to start with on on net zero, useful to start with the definition. So net zero emissions is when um, the all of the greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted into the atmosphere in any given time are balanced by those greenhouse gas emissions that are removed from the atmosphere in that in that same period. So when we refer to a trying to achieve net zero by 2050, what we mean is that, in twenty fifty, the total quantity of emissions emitted by human activity into the atmosphere will be ma- balanced by by the uh, emissions that are taken out of the atmosphere by actions such as tree planting or technological removals of of emissions. Why Net zero is so important is is because um, emissions are what drive global warming and and climate change. And here, scientists, climate scientists, often use the, the bath analogy to, to try and get this across. Um, and the idea is that, that during the Industrial Revolution, humans worked out how to turn on the bath tap and, and started filling up the bath. And ever since then, really, we've been turning the tap on more and more and more and the, the emissions or water have been coming out faster and faster. With that water now starting to get quite close to the edge, we've, we've realised that we might have a spill. We've started thinking about how we can start turning that tap back the other way. And it's actually looking pretty positive on that front. We think that that we will be able to turn that tap back quite a long way without stopping all of the, the activities that, that keep us warm, happy, alive. But the problem is that until we turn that tap all the way back, all the way to completely shut, the bath is just gonna keep filling up it's more slowly, but it will keep filling up and we'll get more likely to having that spill. Um, so really it's to show that until we reach that point of net zero and have stopped all new emissions into the atmosphere climate change will just keep getting worse
0: so how difficult is it to as it were turn that tap off
1: uh, pretty difficult um, otherwise I, I think we would have we would have done it already and I think that there are there are a few reasons behind it. And there's huge debate on this, of course. But, but if we, we strip it back to just some of the, the key ones, um, I think that, that first of all, while the world through through the Paris Agreement and the COP process, which is that international treaty that, that binds countries around the world to acting on climate change, um, through that, there seems to be more commitment than ever to achieving net zero. But the problem is that the actual national policies that are in place ...do not yet shape economic activity in a way that matches that ambition at the international level. So that's one. The the second challenge is that the global economy has developed over decades, hundreds of years in fact... In order to fit the properties of fossil fuels best because fossil fuels are currently what overwhelmingly drives the global economy. So therefore it's no surprise that fossil fuels are really quite tough to beat in many applications. They're energy dense, they're mobile, they're on demand and they're relatively cheap if, if you discount the, the currently unpriced impacts that they have on, on people and planet. And so, developing the technologies that can outcompete fossil fuels on their own terms, well, that requires time and money and and, in some cases, a restructuring of the economy and its infrastructure. um and and that's challenging. Uh, a third difficulty is is the there's lots of debate debate about the importance of of tackling demand for fossil fuels and not just their supply. And and there's a good reason behind that, because if you reduce supply for fossil fuels without first reducing the demand, what can happen is you can quickly get an energy crisis, um, such as that which we've seen at the moment, although that isn't driven um, by, by actions to to limit climate change, uh, the energy crisis we're seeing at the moment that is. Um, and it can also lead to price volatility and and that has really serious social and, and economic consequences. Um, but if we go to the other side and we, we start looking at well, how do we reduce demand without reducing supply? Well, that's really hard because that requires businesses and people to voluntarily, either individually, through through personal decisions or through the governments that they elect, requires them to behave differently and in a more expensive or or potentially inconvenient ways. So that's not going on an extra flight for a weekend away or voting for a government that will spend tax revenue on subsidizing heat pumps or other low carbon technology. Um so it's it's not always obvious to to just tackle the demand side.
0: Are you in a position to say whether you think uh, the net zero target will be achieved by twenty fifty?
1: Uh, if I'm honest, I think right now um, it's not looking good. Um, but having said that, progress is is getting faster and faster. I think one of the challenges of of working in this area is you you look at what companies have done over the last five years, what governments have brought in in terms of policy over the five years, last five years, and it's staggering how quickly action has accelerated, which is cause for celebration, but the challenge lies in looking at what's necessary to achieve net zero in a matter of decades, and it's simply not enough. So so you're stuck between wanting to recognize the progress made and um, and feeling like there's still so much more to do. How
0: should companies respond to the challenge of the energy transition?
1: Well, first of all, to, to define what the energy transition is and, and how it relates to net zero, the, the energy transition is the the global shift from the currently carbon intensive energy system that we have to the low carbon one that we need in order for net zero to be achieved and, and for climate change to be mitigated. Um, currently, we're, we're heading towards somewhere on a spectrum of, of two extreme outcomes. Um, One extreme outcome is unmitigated, runaway climate change that has physical consequences more frequent and severe than than companies have ever experienced before. Um, And the other extreme is an intensely rapid transition that involves the complete rewiring of the global economy in literally a few decades. Whichever the outcome is and, and wherever on that spectrum it falls, I think two things are quite clear. One is that the emissions we have already emitted um, and those that are unavoidably going to be emitted in the short term are sufficient to cause really significant disruption to businesses um, through climate change. And the second is that governments are now committed, governments and people are now committed and have the technological capability to transition to a point where very significant transition from carbon intensive to low carbon is now very likely. And companies need a plan to respond to both of these these facts. So for the latter, there's a growing body of guidance for developing what are called transition plans. And these are what companies should go out now and develop. Um, and this is a plan for shifting the strategy of a company and its its exposure to climate-related risks to develop uh, a resilient business model that will enable it to develop and continue to, to create long-term value for, for shareholders. Um, And the other is that companies need to start working now to assess their exposure to the physical climate impacts and to start planning and investing what what is required to adapt and develop resilience to these. So companies need to be developing a transition plan, but they also need to be developing an adaptation and resilience plan.
0: How do investors assess the quality of these company energy transition plans as and does climate-related information belong in financial statements?
1: Quality is a, is a hard one to assess. Um, there's certainly uh, a large range in, in what we look at in, in the companies that we engage with. Um, to a large extent, it, it really does depend on, on the company that we're talking about. Um, because the the impacts of climate change and the energy transition are really very sector and region specific. And in our engagement with companies, we try, we try and recognize that. and so we, we tailor our engagement as much as we possibly can to a company's unique context. And so what the indicators that we'll be looking for to to indicate quality are different from one company to another. But there is a uh, quite a lot of guidance out there that that helps investors to understand what they should be requesting of companies and what they should be expecting. the the tcfd, the, the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, um they have a set of of recommendations that are at the core of much of the guidance that's now available for for investors on this. and And the TCFD has four key pillars the companies should consider and provide disclosure on in their reporting one of those is is governance so how are they governing the um the assessment and, and mitigation of climate related risks the company's strategy the the risk management and the metrics and targets that are being used to track exposure and exposure to climate risk and and its mitigation If I go through those briefly in reverse order, which is often how we think about it when we're assessing a transition plan, so metrics and targets first, it's really important that companies set emissions reduction targets for the short term, medium term and long term that demonstrates their commitment and ability to reduce emissions, which are a core driver of transition risk for for a company and when we when we look at a transition plan, we assess whether those targets um for reducing emissions, both within a company's own operations and within its value chain, where where that's material, um and we assess whether those are good enough versus the the extent of emissions reductions we think we will see within the world if the Paris agreement is met. On, on strategy, this is really core cool to the transition plan as a whole and this should include details about the different meti- mitigation technologies a company is intending to use to reduce emissions, how it may be diversifying into new low carbon markets, the research and development that it's doing um, and there should also be really clear details about how the company is reflecting this climate strategy in its capital expenditure decisions. Um, and then finally on governance, EOS and our engagement with companies really sees governance as the core of a strong business and absolutely key to delivering on the different environmental and social outcomes that that we assess as being key to value creation. And so at the board level, we'll, we'll look at whether there is sufficient expertise and understanding of the, the risks to the business that come from climate change and, and the solutions that a company will need to deploy to mitigate those risks. But it's also important to look below board level and to ensure that there are the governance structures in place to effectively manage those risks. Um, that's really just just scratching the surface and and there's much more guidance out there from climate action 100 plus from the institutional investors group on climate change as well as from the uk's transition plan task force which is really trying to set out gold standard for the transition and on your second point about how this connects to the financial statements, this is really an area of emerging focus for for some investors. And absolutely, companies need to be considering how the impacts of climate change should be reflected in in the financial statements. We, we've started engaging with some companies on this topic and have actually seen some quite good progress to date um, as companies work out how this is done best and, and guidance develops.
0: Wrapping it together, and there's a lot of detail there, how are companies progressing with their uh, energy transition and are they where they should be now?
1: I, I think it's it's a difficult question. I think that, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's really quite significant variation between the leaders and the laggards. Um, we are... Increasingly, and have been for a few years now, picking up those laggards because of the importance of them um meeting the the very rapidly rising bar of expectations, um and so in our engagement and voting recommendations that we make to clients, we're being increasingly tough to reflect the importance of this issue, and so for example, we we've identified every year a list of companies that that we assess to be laggards on the key factors, and we've been recommending that clients vote against the re-election of directors in some cases, to to really communicate the importance of this. But but at the leading edge for those companies that are really acting on this, I think that in some sectors they are are starting to push up against the barriers of what's possible in, in the current policy environment. There is always more that a company can do, but in some cases, really material change does require a policy and technology environment that supports that.
0: Where does policy and regulation fit into this, and, and what role do companies and investors play in policy developments?
1: So policy is is absolutely essential to to the transition. Currently, that there, there are very few sectors where there are economical routes to net zero, and uh, and policy in in its broader sense is needed to to change that. Really, um, that might be supporting very nascent, emergent technologies and helping them to scale to a point where companies can use them. That might be green hydrogen, carbon capture technology or, or similar, um, or it might be helping companies remain competitive that, that are transitioning to low carbon businesses. And so the introduction of carbon pricing might, might be a way that the, the government does that through policy companies and investors are already quite active in in policy development more broadly outside of climate policy and and so the first step that the companies can take is to examine the work that they do with with policymakers and regulators and assess whether any of that is undermining their overall goal of facilitating a smooth transition um and we ask companies to perform a review of both their, their direct policy work, so, so that which the company is doing itself, but also its, it's indirect policy advocacy, which is often performed on their behalf by, by industry associations, for example. There, there's another side of this, which is not just looking at the, the policy um, engagement that's done already and assessing whether there's um, a misalignment there. There's also the fact that, that in some cases, companies should be considering actively working with governments and policymakers to deliver, to develop the policy that is needed to, to deliver on transition strategies. Um, And they should be looking to constructively support the development of policy that will allow them to do that in a way that is most successful and most smooth to the transition.
0: A little earlier, you mentioned the uh, Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures or TCFD. Uh, That was established in 2015, and now its responsibilities are being taken over by the uh, International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB. How important has the TCFD framework been, and how can it be used best?
1: So yeah, the the TCFD was set up by by the Financial Stability Board in in twenty fifteen, and then in twenty seventeen it came out with those those recommendations that I, I touched on earlier, um, and these recommendations really attempted to to get at the issue of. How do companies disclose information that can be used by investors and, and other financial actors to really understand climate risk exposure and to start pricing those climate risks? And I think the framework has been really useful in doing that, in in structuring corporate disclosure and in generating probably much greater consistency in reporting between companies than I think we would have had without it. And that's been a good outcome in itself. Um, but I think that the, the When TCFD reporting is is done really well, it does go further than than just following the recommendations um, as presented. And there are a few ways that that a company can do that. Uh, First of all, it's recognizing that for investors, the why can be as useful as the what. So disclosing not just what metrics are being used and the types of scenarios used in, in strategy development, but it's also explaining why these were determined to be the best and make the most sense for this particular business. Um, The the second is the really good TCFD reporting. It's not just simply a disclosure request from investors that companies are now complying with. It's also an opportunity for for an internal analysis exercise. So in our engagement, we may ask a company the way that they went about doing their TCFD analysis and, and reporting, how it brought the different relevant teams together, in considering the the impacts of climate change on on the various operational elements of a business, um, and then afterwards, the important bit is how did the company take away what it had learned from its TCFD exercise and diffuse that learning throughout the business in order to establish improved resilience, which is ultimately what what investors are looking for. And then the the third point I'd pick up on here um, about w- what is really good TCFD reporting is is a company should tell us what's changed. This is a really significant exercise, or could and should be a really significant exercise that establishes a company's exposure to one of the greatest risks that, that a company could face over the long term, that is. Um, if the outcome of going through this exercise is simply that a company discloses Business as usual, but through the climate lens, then it's very likely that something is missing here. And so, what we look for is companies to show what they have changed as a result of the excise. And that's where the transition plan and adaptation plan that I mentioned earlier comes in.
0: That's all for this episode of Super Talk. Thanks to Owen Tutt of Federated Homies. For more episodes of Super Talk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.